what happened this past week was we were we had finished Bible study and um, and so I went running and then on the way back I thought huh Leonard said he's going fishing who's preaching so you know like I asked Siri to send him a text and in between breaths he goes oh I he 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 said well I'm planning on preaching I said you sure you want to do that you know and then he said well if you want to and I'm like I'm not clamoring for it but you wanna you want you don't want to have to think about that so so then th- so then he said well what what do you what do you want to preach on if you do it and then I thought at first I thought Luke chapter 24 but then um, then I actually my mind turned to John chapter 21 and it's perfect because it's about the apostles going fishing. And that's exactly what Leonard just did. But it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that they went fishing, not a bad thing. And so it was, it's, and, and on top of that, I just have a real burden right now for um, the fact that um, uh, the, the shame and guilt that we, we experience, and I think sometimes it's become more acute as I'm dealing with somebody very close in my life who's dealing with shame and guilt to realize that this is the condition of many of us, and we often don't talk about it, but um, I can tell you personally that there are things that I replay in my mind from the time when I was young that I shake my head and I think, is it really possible that I'm not going to be damned forever for the thing that I did? And I know the gospel, right? I don't know if, if anybody else feels the weight of sin that they've done, that no matter how long things occur, you tend to wonder, can I really be saved? Can, can somebody, can somebody uh, if somebody knew this, would they, would they basically cast me away? In fact, you know, it's very common today uh, to see scenes of people yelling, shame, shame, shame. I don't know if you've ever seen those on the news where people just go and just start yelling at them. And in fact, one of the burdens in if you don't if you don't know God and your your whole life is consumed by this world kind of thing, what do you do if you feel shame and guilt? What are you going to do if if your only hope is that you know you've done something wrong and that if the world ever knew about it, that you'd you you know then all would be found out and that you would be forever just kind of discarded um, by society. But then eternally, then, if you understand that we're created by God, that's the real burden, right? What do you do if you're standing before a holy and righteous God and you know that no sin can survive in his sight? So where do you go with that? And I think that this passage provides an unpacking of the heart of Christ for sinners, that he came to save sinners. And so let's stand for... for um, the reading of John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the, of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet he did, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any, any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat 
and you will you will find some. So they cast it, and um, and now they were not able to haul in the haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, "It is the Lord." When Simon Peter heard, th- when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, excuse me, he put on the put on his outer garment. For he was, he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not um, far from the, from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they, got out, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish, um, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish. That you, that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net and uh, hauled the net ashore full of, uh, full of large fish. Of the, uh, I'm sorry, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Please be seated. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this portion just to set up a few things. This is actually after the resurrection. It says this is the third time that Jesus appeared to them after he was raised, and um, the disciples are in Galilee right now, and Peter says, let's go fishing. Now, some commentators have said, well, this is because, you know, they're leaving, they're leaving the work of ministry. You know, one of the things you got to be really careful sometimes is people who very forcefully assert things that are not actually written in the text itself. There's no reason to think that they were going fishing for any other reason that they needed food. And so he says, I'm going fishing. Everybody says, okay, let's go fishing. And, um, and so they go out and fish, and they fish all night, and they haven't caught anything. And this reminds us of another scene in, in Luke's gospel where the same thing happens. And then, um, of course, at the time, uh, the disciples didn't really know who Jesus was, and he tells them to, you know, uh, cast the net on the other side. They catch a lot of fish. In this case, it's dark. It appears that this, this person that appears on the scene and, and, and he yells out, it's an interesting thing. He calls them children. You could almost say guys. Hey, guys, you know, it's the word padaya where we get the word children, but it's kind of a, a term that he says, why don't you try throwing the net on the other side? And you're thinking to yourself, how can they not know it's Jesus? Of course, this is like they fished all night. They didn't catch any fish. So why wouldn't they figure out it was Jesus? Same thing happened. You know, we sometimes think that things will dawn on people, but we realize there are things that later on in retrospect seem pretty obvious obvious. But, um, you know, you wonder, well, why did they listen to him? And anybody who's fished before, which I've only done it once, it was actually with Josh um, uh, off the coast of Mexico one time. He caught way more fish with his dad than I did, but 
it does matter what side of the boat you cast your net or you cast your line in, doesn't it? I mean, like, you know, they even tell you which side to do it. And, and, and it's not uncommon for somebody to say, hey, why don't you try fishing on the other side? So there is a reasonable explanation why fishermen would say, okay, well, let's try the other side. Maybe, maybe he knows something about these waters that we don't. And anyway, they catch this tremendous amount of fish that's incredible. And then John says, it's the Lord. And so, so then Peter does what makes complete sense, right? He doesn't have any clothes on and because he's working or he's, he's stripped down. He probably has a loincloth on. He's kind of like working in his underwear, so to speak. And, um, and he's, uh, and then he, but he puts clothes on to jump into the water to go see Jesus. You're like, what's that about? That doesn't make any sense that he put his clothes on. I'm still not exactly sure. There's some things about that. But the point is, is that he's going to greet his Lord. In this case, he's excited to see him. He wants to go see him. And he, um, it's kind of funny because it's almost like the, the ship gets, or the boat gets there about the same time that he ends up drudging through the water to see Christ. But the point is, is that he, 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 he's desirous to see Christ again. And, um, and meanwhile, Christ has um, already prepared a fire for them. He's got fish laid out for them. He's, this is the kind of savior that we have. I still think that you know, sometimes we think that Jesus is just one of these, these persons that's so transcendent. In fact, some traditions of the Christian church, like Roman Catholics, pray to Mary because they think, oh, Jesus is too scary. I don't want to talk to Jesus. Maybe his mom will be, she understands how hard it is to be a person. So if we talk to her, she'll, she'll pray for me. And there's, there's these traditions of being all afraid of Jesus. But man, Jesus is super nice. I mean, he is super kind and compassionate and um, just, he's already made a, a fire for them. I was even thinking last week when Leonard was talking about the resurrection, like the, he's waiting for the stone to be rolled away and he's like ro- risen again. He's like, yes, I knew this was going to happen. I knew I could believe this was the case because, you know, I believe the scriptures. Here I'm risen again. Oh, I'm going to fold my, fold my garments, right? Because that's what my mom taught me. You got to make your bed after you wake up, you know, that sort of thing. And he's just waiting. I can't wait to tell, I can't wait to see the disciples. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, like even on the road to Emmaus, I can't imagine how excited he was as he's like talking to them like oh what news about the person that all this happened and then he go but he's got the patience to let things unravel and so his his disciples come but he's made a meal for them and he's he's um and he's prepared a meal for them and then they go and they that peter hauls in the fish and they count 153 of them now let me tell you the significance of 153 you see 17 is a triangular number and if you add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus dot 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 plus 17 that equals 153 ah and if you realize that 3 times 50 plus 3 which is the number of trinity is 153 now I can't even remember all the different ways through church history people have tried to come up with numerological ways to say this is why it's significant. I think there was like 12 apostles and five fish that were multiplied. I think five fish were multiplied and it came up with 12 baskets. And then that's 17 and then it's a triangular number. That adds up to 153. But the reason why it says there's 153 is because there were probably 153 fish. And that's all you need to know about this. <laughs> that Jesus provided 
well beyond what you can imagine. Like he gave them this amazing catch, a, a reminder that Christ provides and that, um, and that uh, he even provides a meal for them. So now we um, get into another portion of this. And it's not clear whether or not this next portion occurred before or after. Like if it was like all among, sometimes I tend to think that they're sitting around the fire and Jesus is saying this directly to him. But I think, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe this was a little bit more of a private conversation. And also may, may have taken a little bit of time to unfold. But one of the things as I was reflecting upon this, this is a really weird thing to think about, is that I, I was like trying to think about like God and his perfect wisdom. I think that he ordained that people who are really messed up would be his, his disciples because can you imagine if it was just like all the really good people that in the, in the scriptures and then you got the wrong impression to think, man, if I have to be like, you, you, you'd almost, even if the scripture said otherwise, you would think, man, those people are really sharp. They're really, they really got it all together. And I wonder if I can measure up as a, as, as a disciple. It would really be like a recipe for legalism if Peter was squared away, right? Or if Paul hadn't been a murderer. Or if David hadn't been a rapist and a murderer. Or if, um, so, uh, or if of, of all people, Samson hadn't been just about everything you can imagine under the book. And then at the end, he's called like a man of faith in Hebrews. And... You know, I, I know that they're responsible for their sins, so don't get me wrong by this, but I think that God ordained that there, would be, that there would be examples of how gracious he is to sinners. Because otherwise, what we do is we tend to measure our own lives, our own failings, our own guilt, and we think, how can I possibly be a Christian? Because we look around and everybody's everybody looks really normal right now. Everybody looks really great. You guys look really dressed up. You look like everything's going on well in your life. And yet meeting, around the room, there are people struggling with sin, struggling with guilt, struggling with shame, thinking, I bet you that person's not going through that. I bet you that person hasn't made promises to God that they broke and that sort of thing. And here's the apostle Peter who denied the Lord three times. And Christ is now pursuing him in this conversation. He says, verse 15, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, has anybody heard the difference between agape and phileo? Anybody heard that before? 
like agape. Like agape is the perfect love that God has and phileo is the kind of uh, love that we have and Jesus uses one word like, and that, you know, this is really teaching us that Christ is asking, do you love me with this perfect love like agape and that Peter is responding with, well, I love you like a brother, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to take every teaching, think of that as like a piece of paper of that written on and I want you to take that, crumble it up, And I want you to throw that into this imaginary fire because that's completely wrong. Agape and phileo, phileo, which, by the way, city of brotherly love is named after that word. Um, They're they're used interchangeably. In fact, um, the love that the Pharisees have for um, honor is given with the agape word. Agape. there's the, the, the love that um, uh, a sinner has towards another in the scriptures, is in, in the Septuagint, is called agape. The love that Demas has for the world is used as agape. In the same text, talking about love, it'll switch between phileo and agape. And there's, no, there's nothing in here. In fact, wouldn't that be an amazing gospel thing that really, after all this, where it's talked about what Christ has done, what really the ending of the whole gospel is that what Christ is calling us to is this perfect love for God that we don't have the ability in ourselves to be able to provide. Wouldn't that be kind of like anti-gospel? Because what does Jesus say is the fulfillment of the law? Love of God and love of of neighbor. We can't fulfill the love of God perfectly. And the point of this isn't for Jesus to be drawing out perfect love from Peter. What he's doing is he's starting with the fact, and he's he's dealing with the fact that here's a charcoal fire, fire that they've, um, that been eating on. The other time that a charcoal fire is mentioned in John is when he's sitting around watching Jesus being tried and he's like so out of it that he doesn't even re- realize that he's in the midst of denying his Lord three times, which he said he'd never do. And he fact, he said, even if all these other ones deny you, I will never deny you. And by the way, I just want to make sure you get it because some people forget that all the other disciples said the same thing. So they said the same thing. That they're like, Peter said it, and then everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 me too. I would never do that either, right? Just so you know, even if everybody... So they said the same thing. But we tend to focus on Peter on this. But the very first question that Jesus asks him is, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter doesn't say, yes, I love you more than these. He just says, Lord, yes, Lord, I love you. And so then he tells him to feed his lambs. And then he asks him a second time the same question. And then finally, a third time the same question. Do you love me? How many times did Jesus, how many times did Peter deny his Lord? Three times. How many times does Jesus do this? Now the third time, that he asks, Peter is hurt. He's grieved by the question because I think it penetrates. It just, it hits him like it reminds him. It's like, I can imagine that Peter has been kind of gnawing at him. It's like, he's seen the risen Lord. He's excited by this, but this, this guilt's been eating him up. Like, how can I be, how can I be a disciple? How can, how can I, how can I follow, how can I still be in, 
in, in the graces of this Lord. I denied the Lord of glory three times. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like some sort of thing where I was tortured for a long time and had to go through all these things. I did it in front of just people hanging around a fire because I was afraid for my skin. But he, he says, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And it seems like a small thing that Christ tells him to feed my sheep, but the Lord's basically restoring him, saying, like, look, who is more precious to Christ? Who is more precious to the good shepherd than his sheep? That he would then say, Peter, I still trust you. I still trust you. I was thinking about the 14 leadership traits that in the Marine Corps, um, I'm trying to remember. I, I always forget like a few of them. I was trying to go through them. I know that's justice, judgment, justice. Um, it's JJ did tie buckle in case you guys are wondering. But what's the L in, um, in JJ did die buckle, Marines? L? What's that? Loyalty. loyalty. Yes, loyalty. So loyalty is a leadership trait. And Peter broke that leadership trait, right? And so he, by all rights, like if we say, well, Peter is a terrible leader, so why is Jesus entrusting him? It's because Jesus came for sinners and even his leaders are sinners. And sometimes they, they don't, they, even though Jesus, Peter didn't pr- show perfect loyalty, he, it, it, Jesus even predicted it, that Satan, Satan can sift you like wheat, But Jesus prayed for him, and Jesus is the kind of God that restores people from even the breach that would cause the most kind of, um, the the thing that we would say, well, he's basically like needs to be relieved of command. Peter can no longer be in charge because he doesn't display loyalty um, to the cause. But not Jesus. That's not the way Jesus operates in the kingdom of God. Jesus restores even even murderers, even terrible people to positions of authority to be used for his glory. In fact, that's what he continues on in the, in the rest of this passage in, in verse 18 to 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wa- wanted. But when you were old, you will, um, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of um, death he was going to, he, he was, he was, he, I'm sorry. This was to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You know, I don't know. I, I think we have a real problem today in Christianity because we, we try and look at um, the Christian faith as sort of this, this thing to ask, like, what am I going to get out transactionally from Christianity that's going to kind of improve my, my lot in life, so to speak? I need, you know, like, um, hey, come to Christ, and, and um, you're, you're going to be uh, self-actualized. Um, you're going to have um, a great life. You were, you were having a fairly comfortable life as it was. Maybe you were sad a lot. Maybe you were the worried well. But Jesus is going to kind of fix all that stuff. You're going to um, have all the principles about how to care, you know, do well in your finances. And everything's going to work out well if you're a Christian and that sort of thing. But what we often miss is that 
um, we think, but then when we see this, we're like, well, what kind of what kind of deal is this for the apostles to be like the very close to Jesus? And he says, by the way, just so you know, you're going to die for me. And you're thinking like, what kind of deal is that? That's kind of lame. I mean, like, maybe I should just not be a Christian because like then I don't have to die for Jesus. I don't have to suffer for Jesus right now, right? Like, well, if I'm not a Christian, then I, I don't have to worry about that, right? I don't have to worry about the, um, the, the, the reproach of the world. I don't have to worry about a lot of things. But when you, when you have eyes to see, as it were, this is one of the things that um, you, you, I think that a lot of Christian, Christians are missing is that this world isn't that great, guys. And if you think it is, I was thinking about what is it, the line in The Princess Bride, where he says, um, life is suffering, princess. Anybody who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. Did I get it right? Okay, I got it right. Good. That's actually, oh, life is pain. Sorry, life is pain, princess. Hey, life is pain, princess. Seriously, it is. It's not, it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorn poop. It's not all great. It really isn't, and, and, and I think that that's the expectation a lot of people have for it. Life is full of suffering, and when you understand that we are under, that you're either under the slavery and thrall of sin and death, and then when you realize you've been set free from that, you're like thinking, I'll take that deal. You want me to suffer for you in order to, to rescue people from this kingdom of darkness? You want me to be able to proclaim the word of God to dead and dying sinners so that they might know the love of Christ? You want me to follow you? Well, who was I? Why did you choose me? Why have you selected me? I'm like not worthy of this. Do you know the things that I've done? How could you choose me to do this? What kind of love is this? You understand that it flips everything around. This is why the, the cross doesn't make any sense to the world because it's like thinking, what is this of a dying savior? What is this that's been put to death? We're doing well over here. We have the straight teeth. We have all the, the pretty people and that sort of thing. All you guys are a bunch of dorks, a bunch of losers. You believe in a crucified God. We're like, yeah, he's crucified. He's crucified for us. This same apostle this same apostle who wrote this says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, you want to hear about love? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is what Peter understood. Peter couldn't love unless Christ had loved him first. 
we have to be alive in order to do anything that Christ that that Christ asks us to do and he's done the very thing that we need that that we need to have accomplished. He says, "Love me." And so then he dies for us. And and with him all of the sin that you can imagine, everything that you can imagine would keep him away from you. All of that is placed on him. And because he's the eternal son of God, he has the dignity in his person, this eternal dignity, this weight to it, that as he says, I am bearing your sin and your curse for you, it dies with him. And on that, all, the, all of the, the power of sin to enslave you to sin dies with him and goes into the grave. And, and all of that power dies forever all of the power of death to hold you down and to keep you in despair and to 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 wonder if your loved ones are going to be raised again to to who who died in Christ all of that has been judged in Christ and then because death could not hold him he rises again and he says we too rise with him and we're justified by his resurrection he says this man is righteous death cannot hold a righteous man and all of that belongs to us. And then we become alive because all of that power has, has been put to death and enslaved us. And suddenly we see, wow, look at all the, all the chains of the things that I once held dear, all the things where I thought, if I can just, if I can just be who I really am, if I can just believe um, enough about who, uh, me and all these things that the world is asking me to pursue, then I'll, I'll finally be happy. And then we realize, no, all of that stuff is, is just... Is, is nothing. It's, it's, it's garbage compared to what the glory that Christ offers. And he brings us into communion with the saints. And then we say, wow, you've, you've been made alive by Christ too. That's great. And then we become friends because we're all looking. We all have the same Christ as Savior. And we're, 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 we're pressing on together. And we have love for one another because Christ so loved us. And, 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 the, and the love of Christ is then poured out in our hearts. And it just flows out of us. It's not even... It's not even an even exchange. It's not even, it's not even close to, 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 to the deal where you say, well, if I have to suffer for Christ, what is that in comparison to the suffering I had as a slave to sin and the suffering I would endure apart from what Christ has offered? Of course I love others who are sinners who need to hear the gospel because that's where I found myself. Until somebody had the compassion, the love for me to tell me about this tremendous Savior. As he, as the, this Savior who walks along the, the seashore with a disciple thinking that he's shipwrecked his faith and Christ pursues him and says, no, you're mine. Don't you remember where I said that, that all that the Father has given me, I will know why that, that they won't cast out. Nobody can snatch me from their hand. Nobody can snatch me from, from, nobody can snatch you from my hand, Peter. You're mine. Now follow me. That's the kind of savior we have. This is the reason Peter is so bold later on because he knows in whom he has believed. And it's the last time that Peter seems to struggle with this kind of thing. He's just bold and he, he has this, this love for the sheep, this, this um, 
attention to it. You'll see in his heart, this heart of a shepherd in his later epistles. And he did go to his death. It's, it's said that Peter, Peter was crucified and he was asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be considered um, equal to his savior in, in his death. But he went to death. And now there's also this, this um, uh, thing about whether or not John would also suffer that. And Jesus says, and it's later on in this, and Jesus says, hey, you worry about you. I'll take care of John. And then there's this whole thing about, well, John will never taste death. And we think, but, you know, and, and he never said that. So John did die, just so you all know, he's not still alive. But um, the point is, is that we think, well, John had a better deal. Well, I don't know. Getting old is no picnic, guys. I would say ask the rouse. I don't want to offend them, you know, but by saying that. But it's not a picnic, is it? It's not, getting old isn't all that's cracked. Now, it's not like they're clamoring to say, I wish that I was, I, I wish to be with the Lord. There's, there's a thing. But the point is, is that John had a lot of heartache, right? John, John had to see all sorts of things happen. He had to see his brother die. He had to see all sorts of heartache. So, that, you know, stop thinking sometimes with the eyes of the world to think that, that the, the, the blessings in this life um, in terms of what Christ would do with, um, with the church are all around how, how we would prosper and that sort of thing, or, or think like if we could just live a, live a long life as opposed to somebody who lives a shorter life like Peter did um, to glorify God by his death. And maybe John dies an old man, but that's, that's not in the, the economy of eternity. It's not as if John got the better deal. Or that John got a better deal because he didn't betray Peter in the same way. We don't know why God does certain things. The point is, is that Christ, Christ is worth everything that we would expend on him because of all that's been expended on our behalf. And I want you, I have this tremendous burden that each of you would know this love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, whatever shame, whatever guilt you're experiencing, whatever you have that you think is, is preventing you from, from being esteemed by the world or by God or that sort of thing. Just remember that this is the very thing that the Christ, that the, that the son of God came to die on a cross for, that you might be redeemed. And so look up and see him. Look up and see him seeking you, restoring you, reminding you that you're his, that there is no sin so great that he hasn't already paid the price and that he loves you. And so as he loves you, you will love him. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the testimony of Peter we thank you even in a strange way that he was as, um, as unstable at times as we are. Thank you for the fact that you raised up men and women in the scriptures that needed salvation lest we despair that only perfect people are to approach the throne of grace. For it is grace, Lord. It is not us working as hard as we can to to, to be loved by you, but you pursuing us with your love so that we return in love as we are recreated by the love that you've poured into us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.